Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Casperson. In this episode, I'm getting real with Helen Min, co-founder and managing partner at Phenomenal Ventures, which she co-founded with Mina Harris. Helen is a badass in every sense of the word. She started her fintech journey as head of marketing at Plaid before moving her way to the investor side to truly make her mark in the world. In this episode, Helen and I are getting into why sitting in the VC role was so important to her, the core values of Phenomenal Ventures and why she started her own firm. And she gives us a breakdown of how the fintech and venture capitalist ecosystem can more holistically be diverse, inclusive, and make a shit ton of money. I'm so excited for you to get to know Helen. She is filled with so much insights and knowledge. I learned so much from this conversation. So I hope you enjoy this talk with Helen Min. Thanks for joining me, Helen, on Humans of Fintech. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, You've definitely made a splash in uh, the fintech inventor world recently. But before we get into all of that. I want to talk about how your journey into fintech actually began, which is with joining Plaid in 2017 as head of marketing. Why was that role the best possible way for you to understand the fintech industry? Yeah, so I think timing also has a lot to do with it as well. Uh, If you remember back to 2017, I think that was sort of when crypto started to dominate the headlines and and become, um, it started reaching consumers in a real way. And so Plaid is an infrastructure company. You know, they provide banking APIs to connect consumers' bank accounts to fintech apps, uh, very, very simply. And so joining, I think, you know, an infrastructure layer within fintech that was so, you know, growing so quickly at the time was almost like this academic approach. Like when you really get to dive into the different verticals that, you know, uh, an infrastructure layer can serve. So like, you know, I contrast that experience um, to uh, joining like a hot fintech company at the time. So like Coinbase or Robinhood you, you, or like a payments company, like you would have been learning a lot about that, I think, particular sort of um, area within fintech. But Plaid, you know, they, they supported uh, apps and use cases across B2B and B2C. So I learned a ton about, you know, apps in the in the consumer finance space, wealth management, uh, payments, uh, like you know, B2B and, and mortgage and lending, which is super different. And, you know, of course, all the neobanks that popped up then too. So it was almost like this like academic approach to learning the entire fintech um, landscape that I, that I thought was pretty unique. You got to go to fintech university, basically. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it, exactly. It's like uh, my dad is, is a retired history professor. And when people ask me like, you know, what would you do if, if money wasn't, um, it was no object, I'd say like, I'd be a student forever. And so it was a very sort of like, yeah, like an academic approach to learning this really exciting, you know, new category. And, you know, now I think fintech is is popular and it's, you know, oftentimes, like, frankly, more often than not re- uh, lately, um, the like dominant sort of investment area for a lot of big funds. But at the time it was it was brand new and super exciting. Yeah. I mean, what kind of gaps do you see when you're going to, you know, fintech university? You get to see all of the different elements, like you said, right? Not just one thing, but all of the infrastructure plays in all of the different areas that is fintech, which is sounds overwhelming, actually. So way to navigate all of that. 
Yeah. And, you know, maybe even though 2017 doesn't seem like that long ago, um, it's like within my son's lifetime. So definitely not that long ago. But at the time, I think the overwhelming feeling wasn't so much the gaps. It was like the opportunity and the possibilities, because I think when anything is new, you have an opportunity to rewrite it in a way that perhaps the existing you know, structure, you know, doesn't quite allow for uh, as much change. So what what I think I specifically mean by that is because Smintech was so new and I think there was already this sort of like archetype of like the finance bro or men really dominating, you know, like the global financial services, uh, like a uh, conversation. Fintech felt like, well, okay, you know, they say that 50% of financial services are held by women and then, you know, it drastically goes down from there as, as you ranks, fintech, I felt like had this opportunity to really think about sort of equity and inclusiveness sort of from the beginning. And, you know, I think that at the time, it really felt like I think Plaid's mission at the time was to democratize access to the, to the financial system. I think they've, they've done a couple iterations on that mission. But at the time, it was really, really inspiring. I mean, they are um, B2B to C in that like they're they're selling to developers, right, who are building apps that are truly for everyone. Um, so the C part of, I think, Platt's mission was so inspiring in that, you know, everybody touches money. I think that fintech is a category that um, is going to be for a certain type of person, like demographic wise. It's just, you know, when you think about who is the target audience for the dollar bill, it's like, no, it, it truly has to serve everyone. Um, and so I think more less so at the time, you know, noticing the gaps. I just I think I saw just tons of opportunity. I'll pivot, you know, uh, that conversation to today is sort of, sort of like that that reflection um, to today. And I know it's only been six years, although it feels like so much longer because they're oh my god pandemic and you know many other things. But I think that I still have a lot of you know a lot of hope for for this to be. An area that that you know, if fifty percent of of the people entering financial services are women, I think it should be that fifty percent of the people entering you know fintech are women. And you know, if if at the end of the day the end user is everyone, then I don't think we should just be leaving it to men to start these companies. So still lots of opportunity. There are some gaps now that fintech is you know a couple years old, but you know still early days. <laughs> Right. Well, it, to me, it feels like almost, well, one, you got to what really got me attracted to the space, too, was like, OK, we have this like opportunity to really make this not only the industry and who it serves, but also just within internally this incredibly equitable space for for women, men, everybody. And that was like the hook. I was like, all right, this place is this is awesome. I like it here. And as exactly as the years go by, though, it's like, OK, well, we have to, you know, we're at like a almost like a tipping point or like we're getting older and we don't, you know, we have a long way to go before we are as old as like a traditional financial system. But still, you know, every I always think of it like every, you know, day and year matters, you know, so we have to be like doing something to work towards that regularly. So one thing that that I'll say as somebody who's not like, you know, I don't think anyone thinks of me as like a, a particularly like a, a huge crypto enthusiast. But one thing that was super inspiring to see, because I, th I think of crypto as like, you know, part of fintech, um, was that there was so much excitement and momentum, and it really did feel inclusive in this way that I hadn't seen in a while. And so, like, you know, that energy, 
anytime something is new, I just really think that there's an opportunity to set it in a good direction from the beginning. As somebody who has been a part of, you know, lots of startups um, that then become became large uh, public companies. So like I was an early employee at Facebook and I was an early employee at Dropbox and, and Quora and Plaid and others. If you really think about diversity from the beginning, it makes things super easy down the road. You know, I think that the thing that, you know, really great diverse teams have in common is that they had that from the beginning and it wasn't something that they sort of put like a a code red effort on later on. And so, you know, I think, you know, fintech, like I said, still being in its early days, um, hopefully we're inspiring you know, people, all sorts of people um, to build. Yeah. And I think just being in our seats and being who we are and being in the spaces and having us, you know, win and make money is the exact way to do that. So after Plaid, you landed at AngelList. How did that experience really inform how you started Phenomenal Ventures? Yeah, I, th- I think it was a couple things. So while I was at Plaid, I started to angel invest a, a little bit more. And then when I joined AngelList, you know, combination of working for a venture capital platform, again, like an academic approach going to VC University and learning about venture capital through the lens of like a, an infrastructure layer because of their fund admin and sort of the way they hook into the ecosystem, both LPs, GPs, and founders. I think that the picking up my angel investing, um, you know, wanting to try out all the Angelist products, a couple other things that converged, like they launched rolling funds um, in January yeah. of, of 2020 right before the pandemic and rolling funds just took off. And it was really exciting to be a part of, you know, what felt like a big change in BC that frankly, like, yeah, there hadn't been change. There hadn't been like a big change in in venture capital for like 60 years. And so having a product that really inspired people and, you know, to either start their own fund or, you know, have a side hustle as a fund, like we saw a lot of founders start their own funds. Um, And then of course, when the pandemic hit, like we saw a huge surge and people sitting at home and being able to take a lot of Zoom meetings versus having to fly around. And so that enabled people to, you know, make investments faster, um, raise funds faster. And so to be a platform that, um, you know, not only enabled that, but almost like, you know, had a role in accelerating a lot of that was super exciting. And then so, of course, just continuing to build, you know, I was part of that that excitement as well and, and increased my uh, angel investing and then, um, you know, thought about starting my own fund from there. And so I would say that very much, you know, the thesis for Phenomenal Ventures, both Mina and I, it's it's a way for us to scale, you know, what we felt was working really well in our own angel investing. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I think there's something about what happened during just the pandemic and being able to take that step back and say, okay, I really love this piece of what I did in the past or this piece of what I did at this company and then go off and build it yourself. I feel like, yeah, I mean, there are stories out there today how there is just a larger swell of female entrepreneurs and people building their own thing because why not? And we have all these technology and tools to do so. And building you have with Phenomenal Ventures. So do tell us, a little bit more about it and why starting this was so important to you, you know, outside of marrying all of your passion <laughs> and things together. I think at the time, especially, I still I still think this is true. But at the time, the thing that we saw, because we saw so many people um, successfully raise their first fund um, or, you know, 
um, run a lot of syndicates on AngelList and then pivot to, to perhaps raising a fund. The thing that all of these um, successful GPs had in common was that they had a great network. And, you know, that network was something that enabled them to get great deal flow. So allocation and access, frankly, to the best deals. And so I think, you know, having been in tech for about 14 years at that point, just looking back and said, I am so fortunate to have had, you know, to have also this great network and access to great deals. At the time, I had, I think I had invested in about 30 companies as an angel investor and, you know, I had some winners. And so I think just, wow, I actually, you know, I'm so lucky to actually be one of those people. Um, the only difference is that, that I'm, I'm a woman. Um, I think we saw most of the the funds that were popping up on AngelList uh, led by men. And so, you know, I think for me, it was just like a natural evolution, but also sort of like, okay, do I jump and do this opportunity? And as somebody who's worked in tech for a long time, particularly like with startups, of course, the thought had crossed my mind about starting my own company. And I think, you know, it's just, I have so much respect for founders. I'm talking to founders all day as an investor, got to know a lot of founders, of course, in my, as in my operating roles. And it's just not something that, you know, I thought that I would do. And, you know, I, I don't think that that's a problem. I think it's just I, I know myself very well and I know like the environments and that I thrive and, you know, what where I'm like my best self. And so starting a fund to me felt very entrepreneurial, right? Like you're you have to what are you going to call the fund? Um, what's the thesis? Why should LPs pick you? Why should founders pick you? And so you know, I think that the time there and really thinking about um, being intentional about how I wanted to start a fund, because it truly did feel like in 2020, 2021, like it, you know, that phrase, like everyone and their mom has a venture fund now, like that really felt true <laughs> when we worked at AngelList and, you know, we were adding more funds to the rolling funds platform like every day. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like what you said about knowing yourself well. Helen, I can't even tell you. I go, so I like go to conferences and I get asked to like speak. And I'm often asked like, oh, well, what's like a big leadership quality you look for? What's like your go-to leadership quality or, you know, how do you build audiences, whatever, win, right? And I'm like, well, do you know who you are authentically, like as yourself? And, you know, most people will answer that with like, well, one, they look shocked that that's what I said because they're expecting me to say, like, know your team and be a good empath and la da da. And yes, that stuff is important. But I mean, how do you really lead anything unless you fundamentally know who you are? And of course, that's like that you do that every day through time. And, you know, it, it's always a learning experience. But unless you're like actively learning who you are and who your values, values are all the time, it's got to be kind of hard to run something and do it well, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, the things that a lot of people consider when they start their own fund, whether as a, you know, as just like a new emerging fund manager building a firm or as a solo solo GP is, you know, how, how comfortable do you feel being, you know, like the spokesperson for this fund? You know, I have so many friends who have had really successful careers in venture capital but they are part of like a, a top tier fund that every mm -hmm. right. And they will say to me, like, you know, I've never fundraised or, you know, I get invited to these things because I'm part of this fund. Like, I don't know if they even care who I am. And that stuff is really interesting. I mean, it's like identity. And so I think for me, you know, I made this comment about seeing so many men start funds on, on AngelList. Um, I think that the self-awareness kicked in for me where I was like, what am I going to call this thing? Like the Helen Min Fund? Like, I think 
other female emerging managers have done that and like, oh my God, like respect, but I, I couldn't do it. So, um, and also remember when like Katie Hahn started her firm? Yeah. People gave her- That's exactly yeah. her. And I'm like, how every other fund is named after the, the male uh, founders and, and GPs. But anyways, so, you know, I think for me, uh, teaming up with Mina was perfect because one, like we had been friends for a very long time. We met at Facebook in 2008 and she uh, had been looking for a partner for a while. I think I was somebody who like was very interested in venture and 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 starting this fund and and running it. But the thing that was giving me the hesitation was just sort of like, especially as a marketer, the expectations for the type of brand my firm would have were so high. So Mina, um, a little bit about her, she, um, my partner, she had started this expectations around having a brand. So a little bit about Mina, if you guys don't know. Um, so she started this company called Phenomenal uh, in 2017 while she was an Uber employee. And it started as like an activist apparel brand and very quickly grew into like a 360 media company, um, always you know telling stories about women and communities of color. And so it had been about, you know, five years, six years into the business then. And, you know, the brand really shared my personal values and, you know, as her friend, something that I've been really excited about and and especially watching grow. And so and something I wanted to be a part of. And so together we formed Phenomenal Ventures and decided to do that full time for me uh, in, in Q4 of 2021. And we started fundraising in January of 2022 and uh, closed the fund um, December of last year. Yeah. You know, you took a brand that your friend created and resonated with you and your values. And then you, you know, added ventures to it and made it a thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, yeah, I think people who are very close to me, they're like, oh, you actually get to be in the position that you are comfortable and familiar with while taking on something totally new. And so, because I think people are very curious about uh, Mina and my like dynamic and, you know, how do we share responsibilities and sort of what are different roles in, in uh, with the firm. And so I think those who are closest to me and know me well, they're like, oh, you're actually in like the ideal spot. Because if you think about the way that I've been interacting, you know, with the CEO and founders and my CMO roles, it's always like, you know, they're front and center and I'm in the back, but I'm definitely the one that is you know, being really um, sort of strategic about like how we position and you know, sort of what we what the message is. And so I get to still, you know, do my CMO role while being in a really exciting new um, sort of career pivot and in, in industry. Um, and, you know, frankly, at the time, it really did seem like there were so many funds and uh, people have been asking me too, like, well, how, you know, tell me about the transition of going from being a marketer to a full time investor. And it's like, honestly, especially in the early days, like, you know, when you're fundraising and you're pitching and you're talking to founders, like differentiation is everything when a product is commoditized. And it really did feel like there were so many funds and so many, you know, angel investors who were who, who had big names. And so I think being able to really double down on telling your story, um, you know, your brand, your value add, um, you know, was something that I felt very comfortable with doing. Yeah. Marketing matters. Uh, look, not, I was at um, this fintech conference last week and someone on stage said that, you know, I know that when times are tough, we all decide to cut marketing budgets right away. But I feel like and she was kind of speaking to like the SVB fallout and she's just like, I feel like maybe now's a really good time to really tighten up our stories, everybody in reality. Right. And so maybe don't like cut those marketing budgets so quickly. But like the power of brand, right? Like the power of the message, the power of all of that. I mean, we're at a time where 
because of social, because of the way the world is in this moment that people want more personal stories than ever before to do literally anything, especially business, right? And so I think that kind of like feeds into Phenomenal Ventures and this like unapologetically feminist brand, right? Especially tied with like Mina and what you've created, you know, no diversity mandate for the fund and the firm, but always with the aspiration to invest in women, diverse groups, you know, open to all, right? But with that mindset, I mean, how how has it been like what are the challenges i i you know i can i always like am so inspired by women that have been in this space for far longer than i am because i'm like you just have kept it going and thank you for that <laughs> you've seen some things <laughs> yeah look I, I think that you know chorus of tiny violins here but like we're probably subject to a lot of the 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 same things that everybody is i think first and foremost we never lose the fact that like we're in such a privileged position to be even able to go raise our fund right like there's the gp commit there's having a network of lps in our case friends and family that we're willing to say i don't even need to look at the deck i'm in right like and that's that's again it was <laughs> such a we were humbled, but, you know, to this day, like we know how fortunate we are to be in, in the position that we were in. You know, I, I will say that in the beginning, uh, pitching LPs in particular, so those like maybe one step outside of our network where we do the full sort of pitch on who we are mm -hmm. um, and things like that. It really felt like, and again, this is where the tiny violence come in. Um, they were excited to meet with us and already we sort of occupied like a space in the mental map of different types of funds that there were. And what I mean by this is, you know, we would meet with like a group of family offices and they would sort of start out by saying, you know, diversity and inclusion is so important to us. And we are so, um, you know, we've been looking forward to this meeting and so excited to hear what you're saying. And they had viewed the deck, like, you know, I use DocSend like everyone. And I, I know that they had gone through the materials and nowhere do we say that we are like a DEI focused fund. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about our backgrounds and where we work as operators and, you know, what our investment thesis was. So I think it was more interesting that, you know, in the fundraising process, like we were discovering sort of where we sat in the landscape as we were having these conversations. The number of times, again, like absolutely, like it was well-intentioned, but the number of times that we were referred to other prospective LPs by saying, oh, they're working on social impact. Uh, this is the social impact, impact you know, investing group. And wow. with the definition of like impact investing, it's that there's potential to make a big impact in either social or environmental um, causes with financial returns being secondary. And again, we were trying to be a venture fund, like a not objective of a venture fund is to return, you know, money. capital <laughs> and make money for for the fund. And so I think that was sort of like a, a discovery that we had that I don't know if, you know, let's say two two male GPs starting their first fund um, would have faced. And then like also like, you know, sometimes where we got passed on was sort of, oh, we just invested in this other female GPs fund. So we feel like it's similar. And and again, like, you know, I'm familiar with, with who that GP is and have a ton of admiration and respect for her. But like, I look at the thesis and couldn't be more different and her backgrounds couldn't be more different. And so it really felt like a lot of the women who were starting funds were all fighting for a very small number of spots, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then that leads that 
spirals into scarcity mindsets and and all these other bad things that permeate in our world. And that is so interesting. It's kind of a it's like a slight pet peeve of mine as well. Like because my content like happens to cover a lot of women or cover a lot of diverse individuals and just bring them into the fold and have their insights and analysis and quotes put out there. I'm like subjected to like a DEI newsletter. I'm like, nope, this is a fintech newsletter. Thank you. I am speaking about fintech. That is not what this is. But it is interesting, right? Like it's the kind of getting to like some of the root of the problem, right? It's the it's like the initial thought of, okay, well, you're like a woman or diverse individual. So you are put in some sort of category. And I'm like, really dying for that to stop happening. (laughs) I would like to not put in the category. Yeah. The thing that's not lost on me is that it is so well-intentioned, right? It's not like I'm not yelling that there is discrimination or, or, or racism or sexism here. It's just it's like implicit, you know, it's like the the implicit bias and sort of like where, you know, I use this analogy of just like where you sit in their mental map, like, right? And so, yeah, it, it's it's super interesting. I think similarly um, from a deal flow, you know, on the deal flow side, I think, you know, Mina and I are very um, specific, like every chance we get to talk about the fund, we say we invest in three areas. We invest in enterprise, SaaS, fintech, and commerce. And so pretty clear about that, pretty clear about our operating um, experience uh, working at software companies. Yet a lot of the inbound deal flow that we get from, you know, frankly, sometimes our own LPs and our own friends who like know what our focus areas are, is they just really want us to meet companies that are building, um, you know, products for women. And yeah, we definitely will look at those. We're super excited. But I think like when we look at our deal flow versus anyone else's deal flow who has the same, you know, focus area, thesis, background, you know, we will disproportionately get like the female founded D2C company, right? And I think that's fine. Like for us, like we don't get annoyed or bothered by it, but it's like at the end of the day, it's just another thing where we're like, no, we're here to win. And, you know, we think that what's going to create lasting change in venture, in in startups, in tech is sort of seeing women succeed. And so um, we're very focused. It's our fund one. We're very focused on picking winners, um, you know, returning the fund and and then some. And, and um, you know, I think having that as a North Star, uh, but also having, you know, personal values that, that uh, definitely make us look at more um, diverse backgrounds in terms of like where these best ideas are coming from. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like how we play. No, I mean, and it we we need to see more of it in the space. And I think you know a lot of what you said makes me think of um, even creating fintech is femme. You know, like I said, none of us really want to be put in these like buckets of oh, okay, well, like I only do this. I never ever intended on this brand or anything that I do to be female exclusive right like only for for women because i also don't see that as the solution like i think of it as like the opposite of an all male you know an all white male team is just an all female one like it, it and that's not you know what we need either we need the the holistic full scope of diverse individuals right in in all different types of forms and that's what creates win right that's what study after study shows us creates right? Higher returns, more profitability, right? More engaged teams, X, Y, and Z. So um, and I know that there's like an element of like lack of transparency, I think just like in the VC world that you have maybe seen. 
firsthand in terms of having that diversity, that holistic diversity, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, having been part of startups and, you know, going through recruiting as a hiring manager and, you know, watching startups grow um, and talk about diversity a lot and have, you know, big tech put out their diversity report every year, it seems like, and then, you know, reporters then latch on to the data that's available. It seems like the conversation is dominated by a dominator, like the conversation is around how many people work at startups, how many people work at tech companies. And then you see more and more, you know, numbers on like how many women are actually starting companies. And now like I think like the information uh, came out with this diversity index to rank like one through 100, the the, the most to least diverse venture firms um, measured by, you know, women who are check writers, right? And so you're seeing more transparency happen at every layer of the value chain, frankly. But the one area we are frankly never going to get information about is the LP layer. And, uh, you know, there's many reasons for that, mostly because the SEC doesn't require funds to disclose who their LPs are. So it's like there's very limited data outside of just like small sample survey data, right? And uh, if you are somebody who believes that all things start at the top, I'm somebody who believes that. Yeah. Then, you know, we're really not going to see meaningful change until we change the makeup of the LPs in this country. And then it's uncomfortable. But when you start asking yourself, how do we change who's writing checks into funds? It has to do with personal wealth. And so who are high net worth individuals who start, you know, writing small checks into into venture funds and who's running endowments and, and pension funds and big fund of funds like those are the questions we have to start asking and then how they got there. And then you inevitably get to like the whole like the systemic issue of, you know, how wealth is created in this country. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like the the most underreported layer is the LP layer and it really starts with them. They have to be right. ones who are diverse, demanding diversity, you know, at every step down the line. But we're seeing more women. We're seeing like I think Carta was the first like two years ago mm-hmm. reporting on some numbers of what the makeup of LP bases were. And so I'm starting to see more conversation around that. So super optimistic. And I think, you know, Twitter has been great in that, you know, you're hearing a lot of women um, talk about, um, you know, their experiences writing checks into funds. So. Yeah, I know. I feel like thanks Twitter for showing me. So so many women who are like, hi, I am writing checks. Yes, it's me. Um, Hello, come meet me. And I also think, you know, so yes, on the LP side and the lack of transparency there, but then also couple that with many things, but particularly bringing in the just like the lack, I think, of awareness and diversity in the type of fintech companies that women are founding, or at least that you're getting to be able to see, right? Like that that's coming in for you. And, you know, I right, it's like there's typically more like D2C focus or financial wellness or you know, that kind of thing. And that those spaces are just, you know, yeah, they're like oversaturated. I mean, always room for innovation everywhere. But, you know, like you also need diversity in like the type of companies that you're even looking for. And I I think that comes with literally just a lack of awareness of what like women see themselves as of being capable of creating in the fintech space. Like there's so much more than just like another investing or app or finance uh, wellness app, right? There's many 
sectors of fintech that need help. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, to just go back to like the way we look at founders and, and what they're building is like, is this going to be a massive business? Is it meeting a truly unmet need in the market? Yeah. And so again, like there's no, nobody has a monopoly on being right. No, no particular person, you know, has an advantage of, of building like, you know, the, the idea that's going to be it's like the big meeting, the big unmet need in the market. And so I think for us, like we're just looking for huge businesses and um, that are where the needs aren't being met today. And I think anybody can really, really build in, in that category. I mean, I would be curious, like, what do you think about, I don't know, how do we get more women to see like other sectors of fintech outside of very like B2C and very like, you know, investing app, financial wellness focus, like as opportunities too? you know, like where are B2B uh girlies at, if you will, you know, <laughs> getting like more yeah. awareness around innovation, looking for innovation elsewhere, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that having a grasp on, you know, financial services does give you a big advantage, whether you're a builder or an operator or investor in, in, in fintech. So, you know, if, if the if the stats are true that that 50 percent of, you know, the entry level workforce entering financial services are women, it's like I would say all of those all of those women are qualified to then go build the next app that's going to help improve all of our lives. I mean, I think what's so interesting about like, you know, the differences that you're pointing out is like we're leaving it to women to build products for other women and then we're leaving it to men to build products for everyone. And it's like, why? And so, you know, I would just say like you, you can't be what you don't see. And I think right now we have this sort of loop where it's like, well, the successful female founders that we talk about are the ones that happen to have, you know, started a lot of these like D2C companies and these, these great like, you know, consumer um, sort of savings apps and things like that. So then that probably inspires more, um, you know, entrepreneurs uh, to go start uh, companies like that. So I would just say that's like another reason why Amina and I cling to like, no, the, the way that we're going to make an impact is for us to be a venture firm that is successful and for people to want to, you know, take money from us because they see that, like, we can be helpful and, and um, for LPs to want to invest in us because, you know, they want a piece of these returns. And and so I think it's really focused on, like, the it's hard, again, like when there isn't a lot of representation of exactly, you know, what you see right in front of you. But, um, you know, I think being a founder is, is hard for a hundred other reasons, too. So. Hopefully, I mean, the women who, who are working in financial services, like, you know, they're going to build the next mass consumer uh, payments app or they're going to build, you know, the, the best neobank or, or, you know, anything. Well, yeah. And I guess then I would ask, like, what areas of fintech are most interesting to you right now? You know, for all the all my female founding listeners out there, <laughs> for all those fintech listeners out there. Um, yeah. So from the fund, we are super interested in, um, you know, you've you've heard vertical SaaS for a long time, like vertical fintech is really interesting to us. So what are the sectors that, you know, frankly, haven't benefited from sort of this fintech revolution? Um, uh, what we mean by that are like, what are the, the categories where we really feel like, you know, having a better financial stack um, having um, like easier payments and, and, you know, smoother transactions and more automated processes, like how could that really benefit um, everyone in that industry? And so, you know, we tend to look for, you know, uh, fintech applications in like 
alcohol distribution is, is one. You know, Masabo is a company that mm-hmm. we invested in uh, a couple <laughs> Um, or like, you know, Noodle is another company we invested in. They're trying to be the financial stack for um, every single member LLC and, you know, starting with people who identify as like solopreneurs. So people who are giving like guitar lessons online or, you know, golf pros who are teaching um, one-on-one lessons and things like that. So I think just, you know, like more verticalized applications of fintech is something that we get really excited about. And that. That really comes to, you know, uh, like our personal stories and sort of why uh, we started Phenomenal Ventures, which is we have been so lucky to be a part of this Silicon Valley ecosystem, you know, since uh, Facebook days. And we've seen how all of these big companies, you know, they, they grow. And what's interesting is and, and you know, the Twitter problem uh, only sort of exacerbates this where. You know, you have like a a founder who has a pitch deck and talks about the TAM being a certain size. And then when you look at like the next five moves they make going to market, it's all really just marketing to who they know. And I think it's like Paul Graham or somebody from YC saying, you know, giving advice to founders saying like, build for yourself, solve, you know, build products that solve problems for you, uh, market to yourself. And that is all excellent advice because as a marketer, I'll say the most important thing is, is audience, right? Resonating and speaking their language and all of this. But the problem is when all of our founders tend to come from the same background and from the same places and have very similar life experiences, well, then we're only building products for those people and they're only marketing to each other. And sort of like they're only marketing on Twitter where, I mean, Twitter is not the market. <laughs> I know it's shocking. Yeah, I know. Personally, you spend 24 hours a day on Twitter, um, but it's not. And so, yes, today. Yes. So I think for us, we we are really inspired by how do we take best in class technology, these top founders that that you know we're connected to, we're so fortunate to be a part of this ecosystem, and have them solve problems and apply their talents and and skills to solving problems in in sectors that have frankly like not been like big draws for 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 us in Silicon Valley and how do we help improve you know the lives of Americans who are experiencing like low efficiency so that's something we get really excited about is like taking you know an industry that's operating at like 50% efficiency and making it 60% efficient because of the technology versus what I think Silicon Valley has historically been obsessed with which is taking something that's like 90% efficient and making it like incremental right like 91% efficiency so you know, we invest in a lot of sort of like unsexy businesses um, that are applying fintech and SaaS. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that kind of brings us full circle, right? Back to the point of you do need to know, you know, yourself, your personal story, and you do need to, you know, kind of look at something I do often is just look at like what is happening in the world and what could I, you know, use my personal story and experiences to create right improvements in this existing system in this thing that's already here, as opposed to like reinventing the wheel or maybe like trying to make something that's already almost perfect as good as possible, like even even more perfect. So that actually is like that does tie, I think, all in and t- and together. And everything you're saying on this show is just really absolutely amazing, and you're crushing it. I'm going to close us out a little bit here. And if we need to be the change that we wish to see, what changes do you wish to see in fintech and how do you embody it? Ooh, okay. Changes I want to see in fintech. I think just keeping top of mind that if you are a builder and you are building a product that serves everyone, 
it's not actually going to, you know, you're not going to be able to deliver on that promise unless you have like people working on that mission that are representative of the ultimate like, you know, group that you want to serve. And so the thing I said earlier about like, why are we leaving it to men to solve women's problems and finances? Why are we leaving it to men to 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 solve, you know, um, uh, problems for everybody, right? Like, and and so I would just say, you know, like, know yourself. If, if you're not a founder, you don't have to have it, you know, you don't have to be like, well, I'm a woman. I've got this much of experience in financial services. I should probably go be a fecal founder. <laughs> no, no one's asking you to do that. But just I think that the thing that um, I'd love to see is just being cognizant at every level that, you know, a financial services, you know, industry, it touches everyone. Everyone touches money. Nobody is excluded from this. And so we need everyone working on that problem. And so you need that um, from the investment layer. You need that on the board. You need that, you know, who's founding companies, who's on the executive team, you know, who's making hiring decisions. Um, yeah, so you just need it at every level. So I'd just love to see just more representation that that mirrors, frankly, the representation of, of this country or this market. Um, and so the, the role that we play in that is just sticking around and trying to be successful yeah. and trying to be, you know, su- su- successful, um, you know, emerging managers. Honestly, really, really well said. Helen, thank you so much for joining me on Humans of Fintech. This has been awesome. I, you know, there is no silver bullet to... Uh, gender parity and social parity in in our spaces. But, you know, the holistic approach that we've honestly outlined in this entire show, this is basically like a how to actually have like, you know, a, a holistically diverse uh, ecosystem in fintech and venture 101 course. That's basically what this is. Um, I hope people take these insights and and put them to work uh, at, at wherever they're at, whether they're a founder, an investor, LP, you name it. So thank you for sharing and for being so open and honest. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too.